Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 184. Big news this week, the 2021 U.S. Walker Cup team has been announced. Very exciting for the 10 men selected to represent the United States, but also very exciting for fans of amateur golf. It's been a little bit of a mystery whether or not the Walker Cup was going to be held as planned in May at Seminole. The GB&I team hasn't been announced yet, and when the top three Americans in Wagger on February 10th weren't announced as official members of the team, it was a little like, eh, are we doing this? Are we not doing this? So as you can imagine, I've heard all sorts of things, but all that stuff can be put to rest. The 2021 Walker Cup will be contested on May 8th and 9th at Seminole Golf Club down here in South Florida. Now, for those of you that have been listening to the back of the range for quite some time, you might remember in 2019, I put together a series of episodes called The Road to Hoylake. Royal Liverpool Golf Club was the host in the UK. I featured 16 Americans that were vying for a chance to play their way onto the team. Many of the guests in that series went on to make the 2019 squad. Some didn't. Several of them made the 2021 team. And some even won a U.S. Amateur Championship. Yes, I'm speaking about Eustrafaci. Well, as you may have noticed, there hasn't been a Road to Seminole or Road to Juno Beach series on the back of the range quite yet. And as you can imagine, COVID is the main reason. These guys just have not had a lot to play in. No national championship last year. Strafacci, of course, wins the USAM, so that secured his spot. Luke Potter and Preston Summerhays were the finalists at Merido. Great juniors, but I think that the 2023 Walker Cup is more of a reality for those guys. Cole Hammer won the South Beach. That really helped his case. Ludwig Aberg wins the Jones Cup. He's from Sweden, so not really a factor in the Walker Cup. I kind of feel that the episodes over the last couple months have put a spotlight on many of the key prospects to make the, the U.S. squad. That being said, you know how I always say that every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com? Well, every player on the 2021 U.S. Walker Cup team has been a guest already on the back of the range. Some have even been on the podcast more than once. So if you want to learn more about the boys, go check out some of the past episodes. You can find those episodes on the website, thebackoftherange.com. And while there isn't going to be a Road to Seminole series, there, eh, there might be something like it. There will be a handful of Walker Cup episodes released in May as we get closer. I have some amazing episodes lined up. It will get you excited for the greatest amateur team competition in the world. So stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed. You know the drill. So two of the men that made the team, Cole Hammer and Pearson Cootie, are teammates of my guest this week at the back of the range. My guest is Travis Vick, sophomore on the University of Texas golf team. Really fascinating episode. Travis was the number two ranked player in the country in his graduating class. He won the 2018 junior players. So you're thinking, wow, this is another kid that grew up with a golf club in his hand. Well, he had a golf club and a baseball glove and shoulder pads. Travis was a three-sport athlete, but ultimately made the decision to go with golf. Really good call. He's part of this incredible Texas team. They're ranked 11th in the country right now. You know they're going to be a serious threat for the national championship in May. And as I mentioned earlier about that 2023 Walker Cup being held at 
the old course in St. Andrews, no less. This is a guy that you might want to keep your eye on. So let's get started with this episode. Travis, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? I'm good, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Well, I mean, anytime I get a chance to get some of these great collegiate golfers out of the state of Texas, you know, I can't turn it down and uh, bump it into you at the South Beach and then obviously the frozen tundra of Merido. I've seen a lot of golf out of you lately, so glad you we could find some time to chat. There are so many things we got to get into, but but you know, let's let's talk about the 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 elephant in the room. Um I, you know, through this podcast, I have had the chance to talk to um, you know, coaches at the University of Notre Dame and and you know, Rutgers and for for people listening that think that just cuz you you play college golf in Texas or you play college golf in Indiana or Jersey or anywhere else that that's where you practice all the time. That's not exactly the case because there are times when some, you know, programs are able to take these little field trips. Um, you know, Notre Dame was actually down in South Florida uh, a little while ago and actually Rutgers was, was just here this past weekend. And, um, you had a little weekend getaway. So, um, let's hear about where the university of Texas team was, uh, was getting in some weekend golf. Let's let's really set things off on the right foot here. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, every year we and seven of our team uh, players get to go to Augusta, uh, which is pretty special. I mean, you know, getting to, you know, just see the history of that place and get to walk around it and, you know, play Augusta. is just it's just really kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity and i'm just we're just extremely fortunate we're able to do that on a yearly basis now you mentioned seven guys on the team how many players are actually on the university of texas golf team right now i believe 13 okay so we'll get into how vicious the qualifying rounds are to play and actually the starting lineup at a regular collegiate event how does coach fields and coach aber figure out who gets to go on this trip this one has to be, I mean, that's vicious. How do they figure that oh, out? It's, it's, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, so what they do is they go based off of uh, tournament scoring average. And so the lowest seven tournament scoring average people uh, get the opportunity to, to go. Wow. See, I think that there's a chance for you to make a little extra, you know, cash uh, later on in your career. There's going to be someone that's going to be on that nine or ten slot where you might be able to sell your spot. I mean, how much would that even go for? I'm just kidding. That's terrible. You can't even do that. <laughs> you couldn't do that. No. Uh, so, uh, obviously, playing the course. This is is this your first time there, or is this your second time there? This is my second time. Okay, so a little bit of the shine, a little bit of the oh my gosh, I'm at Augusta Nationals, obviously you know, washed off just a little bit, but still at some point you're looking around thinking, how the hell did I get here? What is maybe something that jumped out at you that maybe you weren't expecting? I mean, everyone knows the course, you know, Amen Corner. Amen Corner. I'm sure you went down on 16 where Tiger hit the chip. I'm sure you guys did all that right. sort of thing. What are maybe Absolutely. some things that you noticed that are a little bit different? You know, that's a great question. Um, I would say when I watch the tournament on TV and they always say, you know, number 12, the wind always swirls there. And I, I just never believed them because 11's just right there and you can see the wind. But when you actually go there, it, it does swirl. Uh, I remember I, I hit a seven iron 
uh, and it was playing pretty significantly into the wind. And then uh, the guy I was playing with hit a nine iron uh, because the wind had changed in a matter of seconds. And so that's kind of the one one thing that I can think of at the top of my head to where it was like, wow, that's what they're saying on TV is actually, you know, it's actually pretty true. Now, you mentioned getting to kind of see different things around around the club and you know obviously the golf course that's that's a memory you'll have for the rest of your life but I'm also thinking of the memorabilia and the just the history and I'm guessing they're you know like if you go to a museum you know you kind of you know shuffle through look at that painting look at that sculpture and you kind of whisk your way through and I'm guessing that that's a place where you would like to have as much time as possible to investigate everything is there a room or a part of the club that you were just like i wish i had just like two three hours here to just to really digest everything for sure um i would say pretty much everything in that in that building i would would, you know stay there for two hours but one thing we did go get to see was the crow's nest you know where the amateur day during the tournament sure but it's just it's so cozy and it's just it's really it's really a neat area um and that would probably be where I would want to spend, you know, a couple hours just just kind of sitting in there. I mean, it's it's really cool. Nice. Yeah, there've been a lot of a lot of great stories shared about that place on this podcast. Um, and hey, there are plenty of uh, plenty of opportunities for you to get there. Um, all you got to do is, uh, you know, win or runner up at a U.S. Amateur. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that is on your radar um, heading into uh, this summer when uh, when Oakmont calls. So um, let's go back a little bit. I want to definitely talk about your, your introduction to the game. It is, uh, it is you know, I mean, I, I wish, I mean, I'm thinking it's unique, but I've heard just about everything here about how people get into the game of golf. But uh, you grew up in Houston, Texas. Tell me a little bit about maybe the environment of your childhood as it regards athletics, not just golf, but, you know, how did you start getting into sports as a kid? Uh, my parents had the philosophy of kind of developing uh, the kid into an athlete first uh, before they specialize into a, a sport, which I completely agree with. And so what that meant was I played everything growing up from from basketball to football uh, to baseball. Um, we were constantly traveling to sporting events almost every weekend. Um, I started playing golf when I was about five. Uh, I started playing these U.S. kids, and we would travel to Kingwood every Sunday, and we'd play a tournament when I was when I was five years old. And the goal was to try to make it to Pinehurst because um, that was the big deal yeah. for U.S. kids at the Nas- time. National championship, yeah, exactly. But uh, I also played baseball. Um, I was on a select team as well uh, from about six years old all the way up till I would say fifth. 15 or 16. Um, so I was traveling all over the place playing baseball uh, with different select teams. And then football, I started, uh, you know, flag football at an early age in first grade and then uh, started tackle football in sixth grade. And then I played football and baseball all the way up until my junior year. Um, but always, even when I was playing those sports, uh, I would tell people, you know, they would always ask, so what's your favorite? And my favorite, the answer would be, you know, whichever one I was competing at at the time. Sure. Um, but there's there's nothing like Friday night high school football when you're running through the tunnel and you're playing in front of thousands of fans. There's just there's just something about it that is just so fun. 
And I'm guessing it's at some point, you know, and I don't want to get all the way up to, to making the decision of, of focusing just on golf, but just mentioning the fact that you have that unique college or unique high school football experience, especially in the state of Texas. I mean, it's one thing if you're playing, you know, no disrespect to, uh, you know, all the other states in the country, but when it comes to high school football, Texas has got to be the number one uh, that, that people think about. Man, how do you, how do you go from that level of energy on that field to having to kind of dial it down and approach golf in a different manner? You can't approach golf the same way you approach football, I imagine. No, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, so it's it is two polar dynamics, uh, just two completely opposite sports. I mean, nothing is similar between the two. And so what would happen is uh, when you're playing football on a football team, you know, you got practice until dark every day. So I wouldn't touch a club uh, until the weekends. And I would pray that it just like it wouldn't rain so I could be able to go out and, you know, practice a little bit. Right. Um, and they would they would play and I would play in the CB&I tournament in February. And I'd always play terrible because I'd literally touch a club maybe like once a week, hopefully, and I would play every about every three weeks, uh, once around. So I was busy doing football, but in regards to energy in golf, I, I kind of like, you know, uh, not as much energy. I like to be, um, just kind of calm, cool and collected, uh, versus in football, you know, I, we're just trying to hype each other up. Of we're, course. You know, trying to just trying to destroy the other team. And so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's different. It's different. It's different dynamics. Now you had uh, we we talked about football. I got to talk about baseball because I know that on your your team at uh, Second Baptist, you I mean this is <laughs> this, this, as a, as a baseball nut like I am, and you know knowing that these two players from when I was following baseball is really closely. But you had two coaches on your high school team. You have Lance Berkman and Andy Pettit. Um, you know both played for the Astros. I mean, people think of Pettit playing for the Yankees, but both played for the Astros. And those are your coaches in high school baseball. So I'm guessing lessons you learn from them easily translate to what you can take out onto the golf course, especially with Andy Pettit, where pitching is obviously it's a physical act, but there's so much mental that goes into being an effective pitcher. What have you been able to take from that experience playing high school baseball to your golf career? That's a great question. Um, yeah, obviously had two unbelievable coaches. Um, Andy has the most playoff wins out of any other pitcher in the MLB. Lance is arguably one of the best switch hitters in baseball. Yep. Um, so Andy would obviously take the pitching uh, side of things and he would help us as pitchers. And then Lance was – he was the head coach when I was there. And so he would kind of help with everything, but right. he left the pitching and he was more hitting. Um, but yeah, that's so Andy, what he taught me um, in the midst of competition, what he would do was he would like sing a song in his head um, as he was like playing in front of Yankees fans that are just brutal over there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're saying everything in the book. They're, they're trying to get under his skin I mean, you have to have some sort of self-control in order to pitch in front of that stadium. And so what he did to kind of deal with things was he would like sing a song into his head and just kind of get into his own 
own rhythm. Uh, he would just try to block everything out and just do what, you know, he does best. And so, you know, I, I tried that. I, I thought it sounded super weird at first. Uh-huh. I was, that's, that's crazy. I can't believe you do that. And I think that's very strange, but uh, actually, you know, tried it a couple times on the course and I don't do it anymore, but it, it actually kind of worked because it just takes your mind off something and you're, you're focusing on, on the song in your head. All right. So what were these songs that you were singing to yourself? Cause I can't, I, I can't, I can't leave that one alone, man. I mean, but I gotta ask, I mean, please tell me it's like, please tell me, I mean, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Taylor Swift, right? It's gotta be. No, no, no. Although I do like Taylor Swift and some of her music, uh, the old Taylor Swift actually I like, but it was, it was more, you know, just standard, you know, country music. Uh, I mean, George, George Strait fan. Um, she went to the same high school as my grandmother. And so we just, we've always been huge George Strait fans. Oh, very cool. uh, Yeah. So that would, I would just sing one of his songs just kind of in my head when I was trying it out. So you have this, this great high school football career, high school baseball career and, you know, junior golf career. I mean, this is, it's not like golf was a, just a occasional thing. I mean, three-time All-American or three-time AJJ All-American and, you know, Southern Texas PGA junior player of the year. I mean, the accolades keep going and going. Um, but at some point, you know, you got to figure out what you're going to do in college. And I'm guessing, you know, a recruiting situation for a, uh, you know, for a one sport athlete is pretty straightforward. You have a handful of schools that are coming to talk to you about going to play golf at, at their institution. Now you're throwing in baseball and football how do you go about that decision process to say, all right, I'm going to focus on golf. I can't do it all. You know, when does the writing start to appear on the wall for you? How do you go about that, about that process? It was obviously, you know, a lot of factors involved. Um, I realized football was not going to be something that I was wanting to do, or uh, I didn't get recruited in football at all. Um, but in baseball, it was a little bit of a different story. I had some small uh, D1 schools looking at me. And we even had, you know, this idea that, hey, what if you go play golf and then, like, pitch every Friday night at, like, a school? I mean, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. And so we we kind of thought about it for a little bit. Um, and then ultimately I made the decision that, you know what, I mean, that's, that's great and all, but I, I think I'm just going to stick to golf. Um, and so, you know, coming down t- – through that decision process, it was, we, we waited a long time compared to, you know, some other people um, because there's just so many factors that change within a college program. You know, the coach could get fired. There's just team, you know, somebody could turn pro. There's just, there's so many factors you have to weigh in. Um, and so I ultimately had it down narrow to a few schools and um, Stanford was on that list and Oklahoma State and A&M and, um, I ended, I ended up choosing Texas, but if it was, you know, if it was November of my junior year or my sophomore year, I would have said I would probably wanted to commit to Stanford, but ended up making the decision in the summer of my junior year, of choosing Texas because, uh, ultimately the team that was going there was a strong really good players and I wanted to associate myself with really good players. Um, and then the location it provided too, I was only two and a half hours away from home. I'm kind of a homebody person. I like sure. to go see my parents, you know, every 
once a week or something uh, where they can drive up or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, just the environment and the courses we get to play and just kind of the legacy Texas has. Um, and I, I like being in Texas too. So that ultimately there's a lot of factors that weighed into that decision, but uh, I'm happy. I'm happy where I'm at. Uh, who can blame you? That's uh, that's not a bad place for you to, uh, to kind of hang your hat. Um, I forget. Got to kind of throw this, you know, we talked about your influences on the baseball diamond, you know, Pettit and Lance Berkman really doesn't come any better, but uh, you're also, um, you're also pretty close with the, with another Texas legend uh, by the name of Hal Sutton, uh, former Ryder Cup captain, PGA champion. I mean, this is the guy that, uh, um, you know, stared Tiger down to win the players. And I'm not sure how much you work with him as far as swing, but I'm pretty sure you've gotten some great advice from him as, as to how to navigate an amateur career. Um, you know, he had an excellent amateur career as well. So I know it's hard to pinpoint one specific thing, but as a general sense of what you've gotten out of him over the last couple of years, how has he helped maybe your decision process as to where to go or decision process on the golf course? Absolutely. Yeah. Hal has been instrumental in that regard. Um, Hal is, uh, he's super opinionated uh, and he's just the middle aspect of the game. I, I've, he's probably the best in the business. Um, so he helps me with middle stuff mainly, uh, but he does dive into some swing stuff as well. Uh, he has a good eye for what he sees and Hal's big thing is, you know, when I take lessons from him is, He's like a swing to use an analogy is like driving a car. And sometimes you got to step on the accelerator and sometimes you got to tap the brakes and it just kind of depends on the shot you have or the position that you're in. And so when I think of that, that's probably the biggest takeaway uh, from how um, swing wise is that, you know, a lot of times I speed up when the tournament gets going or on the third day I'm tired and I start swinging a lot faster. And, and uh, I think back to how's, you know, swing is like driving a car you just kind of you got to have to time it perfectly and you got to have the same rhythm and the same routine and you got to do it over and over again uh, so he's he's very instrumental in that regard is there any way that the phrase be the right club today gets even a remotely interesting reaction from him or has he heard it so many times that it's just <laughs> literally just like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I mean, yeah, I, I can imagine you just being there, you know, taking a lesson and just someone rolls in there and just utters that phrase. And it's almost like, you know, like, like someone dropping a plate in, in a crowded restaurant, everything just stops. <laughs> And I'm just guessing he would just roll his eyes at something like that. I've never met the man, but I, that would be my guess. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure he's heard it so many times that it just it probably gets annoying to him. So you go to Texas and you're you're in this, I mean, as you said, this this institution with, you know, great history, great legacy, you know, Crenshaw and Kite and Justin Leonard and, and, you know, most recently, you know, Spieth and, and all these big names. Um, you, as you said, you could have gone to Stanford. You probably could have gone to a lot of D1 schools and been like, you know, this, this big fish in a little pond at, at some of these other places. And now you're going to a place where, I mean, you have, like you said, a stacked team. And, um, but this is not the first time that you're uh, playing golf with a guy named uh, Cole Hammer, is it? <laughs> 
No, no. Cole, Cole, and I grew up about ten minutes from each other. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. I'm, so- I'm sorry to hear that. That's that's yeah. That's unfortunate. <laughs> no, no, no. Cole, we were we were friends long before um, college golf. We, in fact, when we were like eight years old, uh, we would play in that U.S. Kids stuff at Kingwood, and he he actually won the U.S. Kids. Um, but there's there was also another kid that grew up in this Houston area too, and it was Mason Numb. And so we had you know, three guys that live within 10 minutes of each other end up on the Texas team, which is, which is pretty cool. So you guys basically are in this situation where, and, and you were talking about recruiting, how, you know, you finally make that decision, but once you become a member of this golf team, well, now it's for real. And now you have, you know, coach fields, you have coach uh, a bear really kind of, you know, helping to fine tune everything so that you are peaking for these tournaments and, and chasing another national championship what about your game or your experience did you uh, – I mean, what were some of the things early on once you really got on campus and, and started working in this program that you identified that maybe you needed to improve on? Maybe you thought – I mean, I mean, you're a – you won the junior players in 2018 and, you know, one of the, I think, top two ranked player in your in your class. I mean, you were coming out as hot as anyone in junior golf. But it's – you know, when you get on campus, it's it's a different world what are some of the things that you've been able to learn and apply to your game and how you actually, you know, manage the the college experience? Yeah, great question. Um, it's nice being on a team full of really good players um, because each of them provide their own way of doing things that I can learn from. So, for example, if we take like a, like a Pearson Cootie, who's arguably one of the best amateurs uh, right now. I mean, he is, he is solid. He, he's really good at driving the ball and his ball striking ability is fantastic. So if I'm, you know, struggling with, you know, ball striking or my swing doesn't feel good, you know, Pearson would be the guy to, to kind of help me in that regard. Um, if I'm looking for wedges and, you know, my wedges are off and I need somebody to practice with, or maybe they can give me a little piece of advice, that'd be, you know, Cole Hammer. He's one of the best wedges players I've ever seen. Um, you know, Parker Cootie, He's, he's a really good inside of 150 yards. I mean, the guy is, is dialed in. So each, each player kind of has their own strengths, and it's, and it's cool to be able to practice with them and kind of see what they do and then kind of, you know, incorporate some of that into, into your own game. And, you know, they all worked, work extremely hard, um, especially the cooties. I mean, those guys are out there just grinding, and it just kind of motivates me to – and other guys on our team to work just as hard, you know? Um, so it's, it's really, it's really cool. And it's, it's, it's great being able to learn, you know, the little stuff that they do on a daily basis and then, you know, take that information and, you know, apply it to some areas in your game that you would like to, to improve on. Well, it's a, it's very well said. And I think it's great also that, you know, a lot of people think, you know, you know, you're talking about getting the right fit and going to a program where you can be successful not all programs are like that where you can lean on your teammates for advice because truthfully, um, you know, you're competing against these guys. You want to be in the starting five. You want to, you know, get on the plane or get on the bus and go to a tournament. You don't want to be sitting, sitting back. So I think that says a lot about the program and a lot about those guys. I mean, not a surprise to me, but um, you know, that's, that's not something you always get on every single team. Exactly. Yeah. The, our team chemistry is really, really good. We all get along with each other. Uh, we're all supportive of one another. 
Um, we're obviously, you know, trying to take care of our business on a daily basis, but um, we're pulling for one another, one another. And um, that's, that's huge. Um, there's no team drama. There's no, um, you know, a guy on the team that we don't like, or we try to avoid everybody just gets along, um, which is, which is huge for a college program. And it makes coach fields and JP's job a lot easier. Oh, I, I can only imagine. Now I forgot to ask you one thing about, about just the actual, you're talking about the cooties and, uh, those guys know that, or those guys look like they, uh, you know, know their way around a weight room and, uh, you do as well, obviously playing football, but, um, I have to ask you. I'm sure there's been a time in the gym. Oh no, no. I know. I know you. I know you think you know where this is going, but it's. it's I'm not picking on Cole. So um, okay. Yeah, that's too. That's too easy. I think I. I did that before with with the uh, with the cootie episode. I think it was either Pearson or Parker, and I just was like, so how much is Cole benching right now? And, and I, I, I was there. It's like, so does, does he actually put a plate on each side, or is it just you know? Um, so, he does featherweight. He does featherweights. Yeah. He's, he's more detoning. Um, no, the thing I was going to ask you is you're, you know, former football player, but you obviously decide to play golf in college and not football, but I'm guessing at some point you're in the gym and there are football players around. And is there a time where you're like, I am so glad I don't have to get hit by that guy. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that. Okay. It's, it's like, it's like an everyday experience. Okay. Uh, the first time I went to the tank or Texas athletic nutrition center, I was like, these guys are literally dinosaurs. I mean, it's just, it's hard to put into words how big these human beings are. <laughs> and my dad said something funny the other day. He was like, son, that's why I put a golf club in your hand. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because, because they're so big. I mean, it's, you couldn't, you could, I mean, it would take the entire golf team just to tackle one of those, one of those linemen. I mean, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I well, and and I mean, you're a linebacker, and or you played linebacker in high school, but this has got to be completely different. Where you guys are, you know, you guys are working on agility stuff and mobility, and you know, you know, I'm you know opening up the hips, and you know, just the the you know all that the the core and all that you know all that golf yeah. shit, all that golf shit, exactly. Yeah, and these guys are just deadlifting, you know, you know Volkswagens. It it gets annoying at times because I that's what I'm used to. I'm used to you know throwing weights around, right? And uh, I guess the new golf thing is to to do all this stretching and yoga and, and all this mobility exercises. And you know they're over there doing you know bench press and pull ups and you know actually getting stronger. So <laughs> it's it's annoying. It's annoying at times, and I, that's why I kind of do my own thing. Um, I got my own routine, but every every Tuesday and Thursday we we go through the to work out just to just to stay healthy nice um want to talk to you a little bit about merido so you were able to play obviously in the in the merido samaritan which is last year during covid uh merido put on two tournaments really you know fundraisers for the caddies that were kind of uh struggling without you know bags to to pick up because of uh because of the pandemic and right. these were these two tournaments that really just kind of came out of uh, really kind of just came out of that club and came out of, you know, Albert Huddleston trying to just, you know, let's, let's get something together so that these guys can play. And, you know, these fields were, you know, incredible. I mean, you got Spieth and you got Hovland and, and, uh, you know, Scotty Scheffler goes on to win the first one, Brandon Wu won the second one. And just, and then you have all these collegiate players, you know, you and, and Dossie and Quaint Cummins and the list just, you know, goes, you know, Zalatoris and I mean, we're gonna go down the line of all these incredible players, but, the the first one you um you're in the final group with with Scotty Scheffler and Davis Riley, and I'm guessing you just you don't get that sort of experience 
anywhere else where, you know, if you're playing with professionals, um, it's in a different environment. Maybe you're, you're, you know, you get a sponsor's exemption into a tournament or you're in a, you know, maybe I'm thinking like a U.S. Open sectional might be a place where you play in a competitive round against professionals. So this is really unique experience. I know, I know you didn't play your best in that final round. Scheffler goes on to shoot 67 and win, and you got Hovland shooting 65 to, to get up there. But what do you remember about that round of golf that you still kind of call upon or just you kind of look back and think about as maybe a, you know, a, a step of growth for your career? Yeah, great question. So I don't know, just playing with those pros, it's, it's like a different vibe that just it's kind of associated with that um being able to play with Scheffler and and Davis Riley and then I think the next tournament I played with Zalatoris and uh he is probably the best ball striker I have ever seen in my life oh shit I he, mean he, this listen, dude, he listens to this podcast Travis don't say stuff like I, that I, I know I hate to hype him up like oh, that man. but you know I've I've played with it a lot of amateurs and you know I've played with some professionals and and uh, this dude absolutely stripes his irons. Now, he compensates that with his putting, which is which is not particularly great to say the least. Perfect. But the the iron play is is spectacular. And and Scotty Scotty is you know he's he's just solid. It was it was cool being able to watch him kind of start uh, making some birdies toward the end and just kind of get into the zone a little bit. Um, so that was that was really really cool. Um, but I think the one highlight that unfortunately I have to take away from that round was we we each played the first hole and I I hit it like way left and it ended up making a nice par on on number one in Merido and then we step up on the par five number two and uh, anyway we all hit our drives kind of in the fairway and and I lay up uh, just past the bunker on the left about seventy yards and uh, my dad's standing like. I don't know, at a 45 degree angle, just kind of outside. Um, and I had 70 yards to this pin in front of Scotty and, and Davis. And I completely heel shank this, this wedge shot and almost kill my dad, like 90 <laughs> away from me to the right. And I just, I just never been so embarrassed, you know, in my life, but, uh, thankfully we're able to regroup after that. Um, but it was a really cool, it was a really cool experience. That's for sure. Yeah, that uh, that is really a special place, and um, yeah, I, I just going back to Zalatoris. Like, I, I don't know if you watched. Uh, I don't know if you watched the end of uh, the the um, oh gosh, the Farmers, the Farmers, where he makes eagle on the last hole yeah. to, to get into a top ten. I'm just like, absolutely, yeah. And thankfully, they showed that. Uh, you know, they were able to break away from the nine hour coverage of Patrick Reed picking up the ball in the rough to to actually show a little bit of golf. So. <laughs> That was really nice. Um, yeah. yeah. No, that was awesome. I was happy for him. That, that was, you know, that was clutch. Because I think if he would have made birdie, he would have finished outside the top 10. But yeah. because he did that, he made he made the top 10, which is huge. Yep. Yeah, don't don't pick up any golf balls. If that's the one thing to take away from that whole uh, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. It yeah. was terrible, man. I, I almost feel bad for the dude. I, you know... I, all right, we're gonna. I'm gonna. All right. So my opinion on that thing. I know you didn't ask, but I've been just dying to talk about it because I'm just so annoyed that it has to be all that's talked about, whether it's on Golf Channel or on social media or on CBS. The bottom line is, like, first of all, don't pick your ball up. 
call a rules call a rules official over just to be on the safe side that's my thing exactly. i never touch a golf ball but he got the ruling it's done and now we have to have like you know golf channel and cbs turns into tmz and are you thinking that patrick reed is going to say you know what you're right you caught me i should that you got me he's never going to say that so right. what's the end game here it's never going to go the way everyone wants it to go yeah yeah i, I it's just such a it's such a difficult scenario i mean you know, he hits that T-ball left. Nobody in the group sees it bounce because apparently he asked every single one of his playing competitors. Yeah. Uh, and then he also asked the volunteer who said that it didn't bounce. Um, and so, you know, obviously they, they never saw it bounce. Um, but in those types of situations, what I what he could have done better is call one of his playing competitors over and that's or at least that's what i do and or that's what i'm taught yeah and then you mark it and then you both <clears throat> you both look at it together and then if it looks like it's broken ground then it's broken ground but you know people are making speculations that you know he used the tee to dig a hole and and or he pressed the ball down deeper and and they're saying that because of his history sure. um but i don't know i don't know i'd I like know. to I'd, I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt but you know it's just it's just one of those i guess we'll just never know yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm I'm, I think it should be a rule that you can't pick a ball up. Um, I mean, other than a car path, but for an embedded for an embedded ball rule situation, you can't pick it up by yourself. You need to be with someone, whether it's a playing competitor or a rules official, just to eliminate all that stuff. And you know, people make the argument of oh, it's going to slow down play. I'm like, they don't care about that on the PGA Tour anyway, so who cares? Right, exactly. No, it never hurts. Never hurts to call over your playing competitor too. That's that's an easy easy task. Oh yeah. Well, Travis, I will see you at the Jones Cup in uh, in a couple days. Obviously, this episode will be aired after the Jones Cup, so uh, you got to make me a deal. If you uh, if you win the Jones Cup, we're going to need to do this again very very soon. Absolutely, Ben. I'd love to. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me on. And there you have it. Special thanks to Travis Vick for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram every episode. And the merch and anything that you want to know about this podcast can be found at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.